If you have a Bible with you, you can open it up to Mark chapter 9. It's been a few weeks since I've been up here preaching. We had some great guest preachers over the last few weeks. But I'm back in the saddle now and a little sleep deprived, not as much as my wife is. But if you're like, Brian, you need to connect those thoughts better. Just do it for me, okay? And we'll just go with it as it is. Last week we finished working through the Sermon on the Mount, that chunk of the Gospel of Matthew from chapter 5 to chapter 7, where Jesus lays out some of the most important values of the Kingdom of God. We're not done with our series yet on the Upside Down Kingdom. We're going to have one more talk today, and then we're going to wrap things up in that series next week. And that will lead us to uh, our Advent series um, called Hope Revealed at the end of November. And so if it's not beginning to look a lot like Christmas, it will very soon. Today we're going to look at one of the main principles of the kingdom of God. It's subtle in the Sermon on the Mount. It's there, but it's, it's subtle. But it's very explicit in many other places of Jesus' teaching. What I'm talking about today is the movement from me to he. The movement from me to he. It's the dying to myself and living for Christ. It is the self-humbling, God-glorifying way of life that is so counter-cultural. And yet it is at the very center of the kingdom of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of surrender. Total surrender. Everyday surrender. Surrendering what we think is best for what God says is best. Surrendering our desires and our dreams and our plans to God and allowing Him to make us better desires, bigger dreams, and more fulfilling plans. It is the surrender of me to the control of he. Now when we look back on the Sermon on the Mount, if you think back through this series, we see all of these countercultural instructions. Things like loving your enemy, settling disagreements quickly, honoring your husband or wife, giving to the needy, trusting God with your concerns and your burdens, relying on God's power, not your own, Things like the poor and the meek and the merciful and the peacemakers and the persecuted. They're the ones who are blessed. This is what we've been seeing in this upside down kingdom and it's completely countercultural. But none of those things are possible when me is in charge. They are only possible when he is in charge. If me is the one who gets to make the decisions... Me will choose to love those who are easy to love, to dwell on hurts and never forgive, to honor my wife when it's convenient, to give just enough money that I look good in front of others and that I get a tax break, to rely on my own strength and my own smarts to get me through the hard times in life, to feel blessed when I'm rich, when I'm pushy, when I'm vindictive, when I'm aggressive, when I'm triumphant all at the expense of others. That's what it looks like when me is in charge. 
And God, in his ultimate wisdom, knew that whenever we put me in charge, it will eventually and ultimately lead to hurt and pain and loss and destruction and even death. And so at the same time that God shows us his great love for us in Jesus Christ, he at the same time invites us to surrender our lives to him, and he proves to us that he is trustworthy with our lives. Now this surrendered life, it doesn't look like the things that our world values, power, status, control. Instead, a surrendered life is a life of humility and love and servanthood. Let's look for a minute at Mark chapter 9. We'll start at verse 30. Mark 9, starting in verse 30. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Even there, Jesus tells us, and he shows us through his own death, that the value system of the kingdom of God is not about status and power and control, but about surrender and servanthood. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked his disciples, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and he said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Now if you have your Bible in front of you, we're going to kind of skip ahead to Mark chapter 10, verse 35. But as we skip ahead, you'll notice the things that we're skipping are all great examples of this conflict between me and he. Things like divorce, things like pride, and who should be the disciple, who should be the person who can do miracles. All of the things that Jesus talks about between verse 35 of chapter 9 and verse 35 of chapter 10 are great examples of this struggle between me and he. And then again in verse 35, just a little way down the road, Again, the disciples are struggling with this idea. They're wrestling with this because everything around them tells them that me is the important part. That me is the thing that I need to work towards. That I need to protect. And this is what we see in verse 35 of chapter 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Wow! Isn't that like, man, they sure have like, I won't say what they have, but already you're like, this is not going to end well, guys, right? We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus is pretty patient with them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, "Let, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. They totally didn't even understand what they were asking for. 
They were understanding that Jesus was going to be setting up this worldly kingdom, and they wanted the two most important seats. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus told them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. All that whole drinking and baptism stuff, he's talking about his own suffering. They have no idea what he's talking about. But he's talking, he's alluding to his own suffering, which is completely counter to what, he, what they are asking. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John, probably because James and John got to Jesus first. And Jesus called them together and he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Listen up, folks. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The disciples don't get it. They are focused on the kingdom of the world. They think that God's kingdom is just going to be a better version of the kingdom of the world. They don't understand yet that it's completely countercultural, that it's an upside-down kingdom. We don't blame them for that because most of us have trouble with this as well. But Jesus says, you want to be great? Become a servant. Become a slave. Take my example and serve. The disciples wanted the power and the control, not the surrender and the humbling. And I want to tell you, folks, this is a temptation for many of us today as well. Let me give you two examples of this struggle between me and he. And as I give you these examples, I want to be just really candid with you that probably most of us in this room struggle daily to make the decision to put he first instead of me. And I'll be one of them. I struggle with that every day. And so if you struggle with that, you're in good company and you're in a better spot than those who don't struggle with it at all and just allow me to do whatever I want. Here are the two examples. Number one, power hungry to servant leaders. In our world, there are, generally speaking, kind of two kinds of leaders in our world. Two kinds of bosses, two kinds of of authorities out there. There are those who lead because they have been given authority. And they use that authority to get more authority through fear and threats and manipulation. This is the kind of boss that you may have had that you are terrified of making a mistake around. Because you know that your head will be on the chopping block. 
This is the leader who intimidates to get control. And when, ha- when he ha- or she has power, he or she is the one who benefits from the power at the expense of everyone else who serves him or her. This is the authoritarian style leader. And we can, we, you could look at world leaders, you could look at families, you could look at workplaces, all these things. You can see these people all around us. And they keep their power because they have enough fear, because they evoke enough fear and manipulation to keep that power. This is the type of person that focuses on power from a kingdom of the world perspective. But there's another type of leader out there, a leader much more similar to Jesus, a leader that would fit much better in the kingdom of God. This is the servant leader. This is the boss or the authority who leads by example, who builds a culture of caring for each other. They show their followers what it means to act a certain way, to be truthful, to be honest, to be valuable. They earn their authority through authenticity, through service and through love. This is the person who has character, who serves others and loves people even when no one else is watching. This is the person who goes into a public washroom and sees that the toilet is running, pops the lid open and fixes it, or who sees that there's no paper towel or toilet paper there, and instead of saying, well, that's someone else's problem, goes and makes sure that the right person knows about it. This person thinks about others as well as themselves. Now our culture tells us that serving is good when it's convenient. Serving is good when you get something out of it. A promotion, praise. But Jesus calls his followers to follow his example and to serve without the thought of reward or praise. Because We're moving from me to he. And our Heavenly Father will reward us for things unseen by men. Let me give you a second example. This one may even hit a little bit more closer to home for some of us. Consumers to caring family. I want to talk for a second about the the church. The church, the place that should be most he-focused and most me-denying often messes up in this part. You see, the church, not necessarily talking about Chalmers, but in general, the church, especially the church in North America, I will say, can fall into the temptation of focusing on people as consumers rather than moving people to be a caring family. We live in a consumeristic culture where when you look for a car, you're looking for the best car with the most toys that will do exactly what you want it to do. When you're looking for a restaurant, you're going to go to a restaurant that has the best food, the kind that you want, the atmosphere that you want, And if you don't like it, then you won't go back. 
This is the consumeristic culture. The consumeristic culture is fine for restaurants, is fine for cars, and is horrible for the church. The church in North America, I want to suggest to you that there was a movement probably 30, 40 years ago when the church looked out in the culture and said, these people are consumers. We need to make our churches attractive so that people will come in. And so we need to have the best music and the greatest speakers and the best coffee we can so that people will come to us. I hope and I pray that that the motivation there was still an evangelistic motivation. But unfortunately, what's happened with that is that churches have become consumeristic and have allowed themselves to take on the value system of the culture of our world and say, well, we need to be better than the other churches around us. We need to have better music, better speakers, skinnier jeans, better coffee. We need to compete. And what happens when churches become consumer churches is that it's no longer the people outside of the church that they are attracting, but rather those inside the church who are looking for the cooler, the better, the more entertaining worship service. And it leads to consumer Christians who begin to look for the better, the bigger, the tastier coffee. We start saying, my preference is this. My comfort level is this. It is my way or it is the highway. And just, just so we're clear, consumer churches don't work. They don't work for evangelism because they don't attract people outside of the church. People outside of the church can be entertained by a movie. People outside of the church can be entertained by a CD. People outside of the church are not coming to a church because they have the best coffee or the best speaker or the best music. They don't care about those things. i got to tell you, they don't care about those things. People who are actually going to come to a church are coming to a church because someone invited them that they care about and that they see as authentic. People will come to a church because they see an authentic faith in their friends who go to that church. People will come to a church looking for a simple way of living out a faith that they don't have. People will come to a church when they see authenticity, sincerity, simplicity, and love. And so here at Chalmers, we don't have the best music. We don't have the best tasting coffee. It's good, I'm sure, but it's not the best. I'm not the best speaker out there. You can go to YouTube. You can listen to a whole lot better speakers than I am. And I hope you don't come to Chalmers for those reasons. I hope instead you are here because you want to live out an authentic faith 
in community. Because you want to move from being a consumer to being a member of a caring family. And if you're willing to move in that direction, you will find a caring family here at Chalmers. You will actually be blown away by how caring this family can be. Jesus says this, A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I want to give you a test. And you may fail the test, and that's okay. Don't beat yourself up about it. But I want to give you a test to help you see how much of that consumerist culture still is in our hearts. And I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. That my preference, my comfort, my way or the highway. I want to, I want to make you uncomfortable just for a minute. I love you, but I want to make you uncomfortable just for a minute. Okay? And don't answer this out loud, or else you'll make everyone uncomfortable. But let's play a game called What If. What if, what if this congregation here at Chalmers made a decision collectively to no longer have a Sunday morning worship service? Instead, we decided that we were going to meet on Wednesday evenings for a meal, for worship, and for a message. And what if, instead of sitting in your pews the ones that have, like, your butt shape right in it, because it's your pew. We took out the pews, and we put in round tables that you had to sit around. Again, I'm not saying that's what we're doing. I'm not saying that's what we should be doing, but I'm just trying to push you a little bit out of that comfort zone. How would you feel about that? How about this one? Many of you know that we put a task force together, to evaluate our building and property needs of our church. Our nursery is busting at the seams downstairs. People just keep having babies. I don't know what that's about. So we've had to split that nursery into nursery and preschool. This is just part of the current growing pains that we're, we're facing. They're good growing pains to face. But here's the what if. But what if... The future needs of our church were so great that we decided that instead of building an addition or upgrading the facility of a 149-year-old church building, instead, we were going to rent KTTPS, the public school on Highway 21. What if we said that we were going to start having Sunday services in their gym, use their classrooms for a children's ministry? Again, please hear me. I'm not saying that's what we're doing. I'm not saying that's what we should be doing. I'm just trying to give an example. What emotions would you start to feel? Anxiety? Fear of the unknown? What, what's, what's that going to look like? And you know, How are they going to get my pew into there? <laughs> Anger? Wanting maybe to, to tighten your grip on this beautiful building that you were married in? These are all understandable reactions. Your preference, your comfort, your way is now being violated. It is now under attack. And when that happens, it's very easy for us to say, I need to protect, I need to defend. And whenever changes happen, 
it pushes our consumer feelings around a little bit. But I want to say, again, completely stressing before any of you tweet it, I'm not saying that's what we're doing, okay? But I do want to say this. I know some of your hearts. And I know that although it would be hard to make any of those changes, that there are many, many people here at Chalmers who would say, if that is how the Lord is leading us, then we need to be faithful to that. And you would work through those pains and those comfort issues, and you would say, we are still the church, wherever we are, however this looks. And the reason why you would say that is because a number of years ago, here at Chalmers, we wrestled with a question. We wrestled with this question. What would you be willing to change or give up entirely in order for, to have your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your co-workers, your father or your mother sitting next to you here? Another way of saying that is what are you willing to change or give up in order to see people come to know Christ? That was the question that we wrestled with. Some of you can remember that. And the answer that we came up with was that the Bible commands us to be willing to give up absolutely everything save the gospel itself. Everything else, everything else, every other comfort, every other preference needs to be held lightly, ready to surrender it to the will of God at any moment. The color of the carpet, the time of the worship service, the structure of the service, the pews, the stained glass, even the building itself needs to be held lightly. This move from me to he, it's about sacrifice. It's about laying down our preferences, our desires, our future for him. But it's not easy, is it? It's not an easy decision to make And it's a daily decision to make. The Apostle Paul talks about being living sacrifices. The problem with being a living sacrifice is that you have the choice whether to crawl off the altar at any moment. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can learn how to be servant leaders. We can learn how to move from me to he. We can learn how to submit the me part of my life to raise up the he part. We can start building our servant he-focused muscles. How do we do that? A few thoughts on that. First of all, we can look for ways to serve. And there are serving ways all around you. All around you. Maybe you go to the grocery store and you see that there's a shopping cart that's been left in the middle of a spot. And that spot now can't be parked in. What do you do? Me or he? Brian, can you glorify God by returning a shopping cart? Absolutely you can. Because it doesn't matter who sees you, your Heavenly Father sees you doing something that takes a little bit more of your time. 
at camp, when Heather and I worked at a Christian summer camp, we had this motto, see the need, meet the need excellently. And I think that can apply to all of us. Building our servant muscles, building the ability to lay down my preference and my wants for someone else's needs is something that we need to work on. It's, it's building a muscle. And you don't, when you're building muscles, you don't start with like the 50-pound dumbbells. You start with like the can of soup, right? You don't have to start with something huge, but you work your way in. See the needs around you, whether that's the toilet paper at your own house needs to be changed, whether that's the shopping cart needs to be put back, whether that's a person at your school who who kind of drops all their books and everyone's starting to, to laugh. You say, how do I move from me to he there? And you step in and you help pick up those books. See the need, meet the need excellently. Another thought, this is something that we're going to be talking more about in January, but it is a culture that I want us to begin having here at Chalmers called Serve One. It's the idea that there are serving opportunities all around us here, even here in this church. And we have a ton of people who are serving in very many, various different volunteer capacities. We have people downstairs looking after infants and toddlers and children. We have Jamie back there making sure that you can see the words on the screen and Glenn making sure or doing his best to make me, fe- me sound good. We have people getting coffee and, and baking cookies, people greeting you at the door, making sure you can use the elevator, helping you to, to worship God and bringing you into the presence of God through music. And this whole serve one idea is that I want us to get to the point where every single one of us who calls Chalmers our home is serving in some capacity here at Chalmers at least once a month in at least one ministry so that people don't have to be wearing 12 different caps serving every single week for every single ministry. And so I want to encourage you in the next few months to really be praying and thinking about what is the way that I can serve? We still have needs in our nursery and our preschool. We've had to, to multiply our volunteer needs in that. Right now we have one Sunday school classroom, one kids' church ministry that has junior kindergarten to like grade two and three in it because two reasons. One, we don't have a whole lot of extra space. But two, we don't have a whole lot of extra volunteers. And we need to figure out how do we fix that volunteer Issue so that we can have an older class of kids. Well, Brian, you say, Brian, there aren't a lot of older kids here at our church. That's because we don't have a classroom for them. And if if we don't have something that connects with them, then they're going to make it really hard for, for their parents to bring them. There's lots of opportunities. There's lots of opportunities. We'll talk about this more in the new year when we're going to be going and working on a series called The Church in the New Year, looking at what is is the church? How do we be the church? But I want to invite you to consider how can you serve? How do you use your gifts and your talents? I got to tell you, 
One of the ones that I pushed and I, I pushed about is our children's ministry. And serving in our children's ministry, whether it's nursery or, or, or Sunday school, it's a pain in the butt. The kids are great, but we make you do a police check, which means that you have to like, take some extra time out of your day and like, go to the, the OPP station and fill out some forms. You have to do it twice. The people there are lovely, <laughs> but it takes time. We also make you go through our plan to protect so that you're trained in it. That takes time. It's not an easy thing to serve in because it takes time. And my comfort and my preference is to serve in a way that's easy and simple and doesn't take any of my time. But we have dedicated people down there who have chosen to take that time, to take that energy and to serve our kids. And you saw how many kids leave to go down to kids' church every Sunday. This is one of the reasons why. At the previous church that, that Heather and I were at, they had a different way of doing volunteers. They kind of just kind of like forced people to volunteer in different roles and said, okay, you know, you guys are going to be on week one, you guys are going to be on week two, you guys are going to be on week three, and you, you just have to fill all the roles. I'm not, we're not doing that. But... One of the things that happened was that there was this guy, I think he was an engineer, and he kind of got volunteered to be in the Sunday school. He got volunteered to be in the Sunday school, and God did something amazing. God changed his heart and showed him he had gifts and talents in teaching. And he left his career as an engineer, went back to school to be a teacher. Incredible. Incredible. You never know what God will do in your heart when you open yourself up to serve. We're going to close with this. We're going to read through Romans 12. And I want you to read this with this view of me to he. I want us to read this together with this idea of Jesus calling us to make him him the one that we live for. And for us to submit our comforts and our preferences and our desires to him. Romans 12 says this. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. 
If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. As it is written, it is mine to revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father God, your call to us is not an easy one. And we struggle with surrendering to you every day. Lord God, I pray that you would help us today to choose you. To choose you over our own preferences. To choose you over our, our own comforts. To say to you today, the answer is yes, what is the question? I am willing to do, I am willing to go, I am willing to say, I am willing to love. If you would only lead me. And that tomorrow morning, as our feet hit the ground, we would again choose you. And the day after that, the day after that, and the day after that. Lord God, help us to choose you each and every day. Help us to surrender. Help us to live for you. May we pray with John the Baptist who said, He must increase, I must decrease. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your patience. Help us to serve you well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.